Leftovers Season 2, Episode 4, Orange Sticker is over, but we're just getting started here on Post Show Recaps, and now here are the two guys who are literally rickrolling you right now alongside Patty. It's Josh Wiggler and Antonio Mazzaro. Hi, Antonio. I'm never going to give you up. Yeah. never going to let you down. I hope that's in line with the beat. Uh, it, be. it probably isn't, but you know what? That's what happens when you get rickrolled. You get your yeah. feet on the air and your head on the ground. Yeah, I think that this is probably the first Post Show Recaps official rickrolling. Do-do-do-do-do-do. It's like the new Friends. Oh no, we can't. We just have to stop. We can no, never, no, no. Never Friends do it is again. the new Friends is the new Rickroll. Yes, this is like Orange is the new Black. Yeah, Friends okay. is the new Rickroll. So much conflicting music happening right now. Oh let's my get, gosh! Let's let's get let's get out of there before we get in danger. Uh, here we are, leftovers, season two, episode four, four episodes into this thing. We say it every single time. Let's say it again. This season is freaking awesome. Yep. Yep. Great. It's great. Every episode's been great. Every episode has been two thumbs up. Is this better than last week's, Antonio? That, this is the this is the burning question. I, I think I like last week's better, but this was a great episode. Yeah, very good stuff. Orange sticker, we are back in Miracle. We're back with Kevin Garvey. We got a lot more going on with the Murphys. We got a lot more going on with Patty. We have some answers that are barely answers. They're probably more questions than answers, but that's how Lindelof rolls. So it was a big episode. Very big episode for sure. That's how Lindelof Rick rolls. That's how he Rick rolls. Oh, it's back. Oh, no. That's great. It's back. Uh, all right. So wh- where should we where should we start with this thing, Antonio? Where do you want to where do you want to kick off? What are your first thoughts on uh, Orange Sticker? Well, uh, well, I mean, uh, Carrie Coon. That's yeah. she's just so good. She's good. She's she's good. so good. I want to know do you, who would you rather have as your ride or die, Nora Durst or Erica Murphy? Ooh, I love them both. You mean in terms of like who's going to be the most loyal to me? Well, who's going to be the best partner in crime? Nora's like, no, no question. She doesn't think Kevin kidnapped the girls. Go find your phone. Let me help you cover it up. Here's right. your alibi. Here are your excuses. Here's the way you get away with this. Even though she's really upset with him and seems very hurt by what happened and very kind of, I think she feels wronged. Uh, she's ready and, and, and she's smart. Even the cop is like, damn, that's smart. Kevin says. What, meanwhile, Erica's like, my husband, her husband gets shot. And he's like, yep, I got shot. Come on. Hey, baby. Got shot. Yep. She's like, no questions asked. Leaving in the middle of the night to go pull a bullet out of her husband. No big deal. No big deal. Absolutely. And I mean, Nora in her own way is pulling bullets out of her, her man. You know, she's, she's definitely helping him out, hooking him up with good ideas. They're both really solid. They're both great. Hooking him up with a handcuffed arm. Uh, that was awesome. That's one of my favorite moments that has ever happened on this show. And I can't wait to dig into that deeper. I think that the hand cuff at the end of this episode is one of the great great images of the leftovers yeah uh it's it's like a i mean that would if you were worried about a departure you might try to do that you might try to literally handcuff yourself to somebody if it was a geographical oddity if there was some kind of matter of geography in play you might hope that that would do it uh, she's literally sleeping with her leg over him uh there is no way uh for him to disappear or depart without her being right there and yet I don't know that it'll be enough. You could right. just, it could lead to a suicide attempt with her at his side, and that's rough. right. Well, I mean, it's certainly opening the door, and it's an invitation for Nora to come along on one of Kevin's crazy, you know, Tyler Durden-esque adventures. Yes. Uh, you know, we're definitely definitely opening up the door for Carrie Coon to be along for the ride with a Patty and Kevin shenanigans adventure. Yep. That sounds awesome. That sounds really, really fun, and that sounds like such a great idea for the leftovers to be embarking on. Yeah, I agree. And it, we'll be able to see it through her eyes, not through somebody who has been wondering, where is my mind, uh, but right. from somebody who is very level-headed. I mean, I want to talk to you 
as we go throughout this podcast about whether you're buying or selling some of what the, the, the proclamations or pronouncements that these characters are making. But there's that great scene with Nora and Jill where Nora is just sure that the girls didn't depart again. Uh, right. she, this is it. And others in the show believe that they absolutely did depart and they're with yeah. God or, you know, that they're somewhere else. So there's a lot of interesting pronouncements there, but I'm, I'm on team Nora Durst. I love this. And this episode just so great where it starts with the earthquake and with everything that's popping off. Um, yeah, let's get into it. If you're not, I mean, do you want to hit our, like, we, we want to hear from everybody what you guys thought about this episode as well. So, you know, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, check us out at postshowrecaps.com. You can subscribe to our feed. Josh, what's that? Postshowrecaps.com slash leftovers iTunes. And if this is your first episode of the Leftovers podcast, I apologize for the Rick rolling. Yeah, well, no, you don't. You don't apologize. We're gonna. Pro- that's probably gonna happen again. I it's bet. happening right now. Oh no! <laughs> there it is. So it's gone. It's off. Yeah, it's gone. So anyway, um, but anyway, yeah, you can. We we'd love to hear your thoughts because this seems to be a series where people are, as we like to do on Poster Recaps, planting flags. Some people have some very, especially the characters, have some very clear beliefs about what's going on in the, in the series and in the town, and we'd love to hear what yours are. But Josh, I'd love to hear what yours are about this first scene this is so good carrie coon stuff nailing the, the earthquake she's just nailing the fear that comes from a departure we've talked a lot especially after last week's holy wayne antics about whether the hug actually fixed uh nora durst and i think we can we can say unequivocally that it didn't fix things it did not fix things whatsoever and you know we get the real indictment from patty who's saying that nora is a broken person who's clinging on to whatever she can just like you kevin so that's certainly the patty assessment whether that's a deep-rooted kevin garvey insecurity or something profound and real and there's reasons to think that that might be real uh that's bad that's not great and if holy wayne's services of hugging the shit out of you are supposed to get you a emotionally whole again did not work for nora durst um she really you know speaking of clinging on to things she really clings on to this word gone uh when she when she goes over when she goes outside after the after the earthquake hits and she can't find kevin and she goes and sees erica next door and erica's like evie isn't home and her two friends never came home either they're all gone and we see nora just go gone yeah you know, and we see the dogs are running around outside again, and that's always a bad sign. Um, we've seen, we saw that a lot in season one in Mapleton of the wild dogs. So things are starting to look really grim, and she passes out when she goes back inside, when she wakes up and she calls 911, she can barely put words together. Uh, she's, you know, she's saying, did it happen again? Not the effing earthquake. Are the people gone? Are they effing gone again? Um, so it's, it, there's just a very powerful word there with Nora gone. And it's just, she keeps hitting it over and over again. It, you know, for, for someone who has already turned in such masterclass work on this show, the fact that this is an argument for the best Nora Durst scene is incredible. Uh, yeah. You know, it's certainly a nominee. Yeah, because we had the silent scream where she sees her family when the guilty remnant have put the, right. the real dolls back in play or the living, the loved ones dolls. Um, so that was actually ob- obviously a great Carrie Coon scene, but this whole sequence is phenomenal. Uh, and I really love when I'm near the end of the scene when Kevin does return after we've got that great camera work that really makes us feel like our feet are on the air and our head are on the, our heads on the ground where she spins and kind of passes out. Um, Kevin shows up and she's so happy he's back. And then on, on almost on a dime, she turns that into just kind of like, all right, I'm picking up this baby and I'm going upstairs because I am not happy that that just happened. 
Yeah, she's pissed. She's pissed, but that's really the extent of her anger. You know, we do get throughout the episode, she's talking about, uh, I can't go through that again, can't have that happen again, but she doesn't, you know, rip into Kevin at any point. This is kind of her moment of just like, all right, you're fine, you're okay, you're safe, you're alive, now give me the night. Give me some freaking space, bro. Yeah, yeah. She uh, she was hung up on the word gone. You might say she was a gone girl. A yeah. Uh, but <laughs> now, but then she turns, uh, she puts that right away. And that's interesting to me because, as I said, she does make the proclamation later in the episode that when she says basically, like, it didn't happen again. Uh, but that's, she's terrified that it happened again right away. So, you know, what is it? Is it her gut reaction was that it could have happened again and she lost herself and she lost her logic and that emotion. Uh, and I think that's maybe all it is, or maybe she's putting on a very tough face for Jill when they're having their sort of drinking drinks on the porch kind of scene. Right. Uh, and maybe that's the lie. So it's, it's very interesting whether she's telling herself a lie, what she's covering up and Carrie Coon is playing all aspects of that. So, so well. Yeah, and then the next scene, you know, the next morning when everyone is downstairs and they're talking about everything that went on and Kevin explains in front of Nora, in front of Jill, you know, he leaves the cinder block out of it. He leaves the patty out of it, but he does tell them, I was sleepwalking. I lost my phone at a lake. I woke up. The girl's car was there. And she's just like, okay, all right. Very matter-of-factly just accepting everything that Kevin says. And This isn't unique. This isn't the first time that she is accepting outlandish stories from Kevin Garvey. You know, we saw in the second episode of the season when he's saying, I watched a woman kill herself and then I buried her body with your brother. Uh, you know, we, yeah. we've seen her accept she shit just like laughs that. it off. Yeah, she just, you know, we've seen her accept that stuff before, and she does it again here. And there, there was a part of me that was really surprised with just the nonchalance with which she accepts this. And I don't, I don't know what that says to you about where, where Nora Durst is. Does it speak to what Patty is saying that this isn't, is this love? Is this somebody who just accepts you for your faults and digs bullets out of you when you're shot? Or is this somebody who is just like, okay, I know that this guy is a Looney Tune, but I can't lose him because he's all I've got right now. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much of it is that. Some of it is that I think that she definitely wants to be accepted for who she is, warts and all. And, you know, the, the I hire prostitutes to shoot me kind of thing is a very tough admission. And they, Kevin, to his credit, sort of just, and Jill too, sort of just kind of shake that off and laugh it off. And that's what she wants, I think. She wants to be able to be herself and be around uh, people who will let that be and not judge hers from judge her from afar, like we saw in the first season, is oh, in hushed tones, like that's the woman who lost everyone. Like, right. oh my gosh, we have to take her and handle her with kid gloves. That great episode where she goes to New York, that is sort of her centric, is focused a little bit on that. She doesn't want to be. She has an identity, uh, but she's very upset that someone stole that identity, but she also doesn't want to just be encompassed by that, uh, and she doesn't want people to judge her that way. She's actually hiding uh, that from some of those other characters in New York. So I think she wants to. She really wants a situation where she can just be who she is in the comfort of other people, and at its core, I think that's what all of us want from relationships and from people, and I think that that's really what she's looking for more than anything 
it isn't just that Kevin is just anybody, just any kind of port in a storm. It's that she feels comfortable being herself around him because he too is a flawed person and she can sense that. Uh, and I think that that is really what brings them together more than anything. Uh, and she plays that so well. And, and that really is kind of at the center of what they are. So, I mean, that's why I said, would you rather have Nora Durst or Erica as your ride or die? Cause Nora is just in for a penny in for a pound. Like she's, yeah. she's willing to take whatever she's in for a $3 million. She's in for $3 million worth of pennies yeah that's how many pennies is that it's a lot of pennies it's like i don't do math very well but i think that's two more zeros under that million so it's a lot of pennies 300 million pennies maybe yeah i don't know many pennies money pennies many pennies yeah (laughs) oh boy Uh, but i mean she's great she's like hey go into the pond so that when people see you and you come back later saying i'm looking for my phone they look oh well i saw him down there yeah that's not suspicious i did see him there he's part of the rescue effort so clever so so fast on her feet and kevin's the cop kevin's should know this kevin should be better about this yeah but nora's got like the real detective brain here. she does she is the true detective she is she's the true d and kevin's the yellow king yes it took that long for us to figure out who was really the true detective what does yeah. that say that's nah, pretty good uh but yeah no she she knows what's up she knows what to do she's she's good she's smart she's she's very very capable very very confident but there is this simmering you know, if if not rage, or, there's something. She's very not good with the fact that Kevin just disappeared in the night. You know, and you get that even when she's riding off in the car and he's like, are we okay? She's like, yeah. And he's like, I love you. She's like, ah, I love you too. But there's definitely something there. You know, there's there's some serious tension going on. Yeah, and there's a, I mean, there's a lot going on because she also, and this this sort of kind of comes up later in the episode. Why why did they come to Miracle? Why are they there? What are they looking for? She's the one who really pushed the purchase of the house. She's the right. one who wanted to make it something more permanent. Kevin is the one who was sort of half in, and she wanted to go all in. And I think that's interesting because while Kevin's sort of looking for his phone here. Uh, what we see is we see her kind of on her own little quest and, and looking for these girls. And that takes her to this weird prayer circle with Matt. Uh, and the prayer is as much about we are the 9,261 and we are spared. Yeah. And that's, Matt, get out of that. That's not your thing. Yeah, on, that, that, that is that scene is not on accident. We talked a little bit on this podcast about how maybe that number is really significant and the town always has to have like that population. And so... When three people came in, then three people had to leave. And if you had the baby, that's four. The three girls are gone. Isaac is now outside the town. So there's right. four people who have left with the new four people that came in. I don't know exactly if the 9261 is is this number we have to look at, but that scene is there with that number. We shouldn't forget that for sure. That's yeah. like the third or fourth time the show has really kind of heavily hit hit that number. And I think that that's very important. It's so interesting. It's such a new device for a Damon Lindelof show to prominently feature a mysterious number. It really is. I mean, I don't know where they get ideas like this, but these guys are just so creative. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Uh, we're at the search site. We know we've got Kevin. He sees the palm print on the girl's car. And, you know, at that time, and you've seen previews at this point that Kevin and John are going to go on some sort of adventure together that's probably going to end poorly for somebody. And you think that, oh, shit, Kevin's busted. They're going to lift his fingerprints, all this stuff. It didn't occur to me until later, like, oh, of course, the hand painting. That makes so much sense as to why John would think it was Isaac. Yeah, that in, until they said palm print and, and John really was like, palm print? Like, right. I did, it didn't occur to me either. And didn't that, occur at all. That was definitely no bueno. I thought it was interesting, um, this scene 
the for its lack of Patty. Uh, Patty is not around when all these other people are around, and when Kevin has something to focus on, Patty seems to only kind of pop up when Kevin is with with his own thoughts. And right, and is she is she a nighttime nighttime person? Have we seen much Patty in the daytime? No, I mean I think we have seen some Patty in the daytime. So I don't a little think, bit, yeah, a little bit, but I don't think she's exclusively a nighttime person. Like for example, when Kevin digs up the body in the Where Is My Mind kind of thing, uh, and then he goes to the police station. He has that right. weird scene after patty shows up in the truck really for the first time then uh and and we we get her saying speaking for the first time saying i think that's the first time saying like what was that all about you know like so that's during the day she is not exclusively a nighttime uh thing but she does seem to exclusively be uh kevin is mostly in his own thoughts kind of thing yeah and i think um yeah, I, I think she just probably doesn't show up when there's other people around. I don't think she wants to alert people to the fact that he's talking to somebody who doesn't seem to be there. And, and I'm trying to think of it from her perspective, if she is just sort of this mystery apparition that isn't just, uh, you know, a fabrication of psychosis or something like that. But if she is just like this mystical thing, uh, she probably doesn't want to show up when there's a bunch of people around. So it makes sense that she's kind of just there for Kevin's private moments. Yeah, that's true. Um, speaking of private moments, what's going on with uh, Michael and Jill. Uh, well, we're definitely headed toward a private moment between these two, don't you think? I mean, can you fix my sink? I, I, as far as I understand, is that a, is that a question for me? No, well, that's not a metaphor. Uh, as far as I understand, I, I believe there there are some films that are geared at adults that have started with a very similar premise. Uh, if the <laughs> really? Big Lebowski taught me anything, it's sometimes uh, you know you don't just fix the cable. Uh huh. Yeah. Don't you be fatuous. Faucet. Yeah. Yes. Faucet is is having trouble with its flow. Yeah, so sometimes you have to you have to you have, the pipes are a problem, you know. You, you hit the to, pipes too aggressively, and there's just it just flows instantly. Well, the earthquake did cause uh, that sink problem uh, because uh-huh. we saw that Jill just wasn't aware of it. So I don't know that that was a very. It was a very interesting little thing. Then he had to go ruin it by crying. I mean, that all. Oh, come on. Give the guy some credit. He believes that his sister is is either dead or departed. And it seems like he thinks that she's departed. Yeah. But he does say with God, kind of like he says to the extent like people like you would never, you know, never think I'm crazy when I talk about this. And, you know, like Jill doesn't give him the what do you mean you people? But uh, he's talking about people who believe in God, as he says, and or who don't believe in God, rather. So he I think he does believe that there's a there's a spiritual thing going on as much as anything uh, and that his faith in God tells him that she's not here anymore. Right. Uh, And that's uh, that's tough because. Clearly, his dad is not going to be with him on that. Um, I don't know where his mom is on that. But he doesn't have a ton of outlets. Uh, I think it's, it's interesting to me that he didn't go to the church at this at this time when he's at his kind of lowest. Well, entirely possible that he did, and that's a, you know, a subsequent episode. That's something in the future. Yeah, based we may on see Just that. like the fixed perspectives that we're getting. Yeah, we may see that. Um, so I don't know what happens there. Yeah, but no, there's, de- I mean, there's definitely some, you know, there's definitely a connection between these two, whether or not it's going to be anything romantic or physical, I think is a down the line question. There's certainly chemistry between these two. Um, I really loved their scenes tonight. I love Jill and Michael in the same scene. I think that that's great. Uh, I thought we learned a lot of interesting stuff about Michael in this episode too. The fact that he is Evie's twin, but he was born months later. And Erica says like a lot of people didn't know that twins could be born months apart. And I'll raise my hand here. I had no idea. No clue. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's uh that's not News something to me. that occurs to me uh either months apart. And 
you know, as far as I can think, and I did a little bit of looking and digging and I can't really find anything. I don't think there are like, there's a lot of famous twins in mythology, but I don't think that there are any mythological twins who are born that far apart. Uh-huh. Um, the most common, you know, mythological twins kind of story um, is that, you know, maybe one of the twins was, if they're born at the same time, it would be because, it would be because a god um, was... Uh, conceiving with uh, a mortal and an immortal on the same kind of time. So um, that's kind of where you get like one of the twins will be godlike and Im- immortal or have god powers and the other will just be a normal person. And so I think that that is interesting uh, to, to kind of talk about between Evie and Michael. If one of them is maybe blessed with some kind of special connection and the other isn't, Evie has the seizure issues and we have the weird running naked through the forest scene that we still yeah. haven't really put any kind of uh, clarity to. But Michael is the one who seems to have the spiritual connection. So I don't know uh, if there's any kind of mythological thing going on there, uh, but it's something I think that's worth tracking going forward as we learn more about Michael and potentially more about Evie. You want to plant that flag, huh? I, I think we should at least be looking into it. Yeah, like I think about it. They were planting fla- literally planting flags in this episode, Josh. Sure. <laughs> Every time they saw something that was a little bit out of out yeah. of whack, they were like, "Oh, you know, just plant a flag plant there a flag. if it doesn't look right." And right I think the the fact that they're both twins on a show that uh, has already featured so heavily uh, with mythology and spirituality, I think you can't ignore that fact. And I think it is something we should be tracking. Um, you know, you we know, talk about podcasting for the hashtag, but that's really like TV showing for the podcast. It really is good for planting them. flags gonna, on hey. on the leftovers. Is definitely like, hey, Antonio, I'm looking at you. Yeah, thanks for listening, Damon. We really appreciate it. But I don't know. I don't. I don't know what's going on with with the Evie and Michael thing. You know, who who knows? That's a, that's a good point. If there's some if there's some mythological examples to to dig into there our boy raise aslan where's that guy yeah well they seem they seem to have put the muzzle on raise he was telling us too much yeah, in those first much. couple of episodes he hasn't yeah those really... are fascinating interviews those interviews uh which we thought would be weekly over at vulture they've disappeared yeah. sudden departure <laughs> sudden departure raise yeah. is one of the 9261 who didn't make it he's like the yeah. 9262 the, the thing is you he could have talked this week about all these mythological tours. sure he could have gone like apollo and artemis or he could have told us about romulus and remus and you know the founding of rome or castor and pollux or all of these twins that do exist and those are the fun. twins from face off right that's nicholas cage and his brother that's exactly who that is yep right. that's there and that the the great uh, myth known as face off uh, yeah. from the from the woovian uh way of thinking yeah um need a peach for hours <laughs> <laughs> that's that is a metaphor yeah that so. is a metaphor yeah but yeah it's we didn't see Michael go and connect with the church or anything like that. And we didn't see him go and connect with the guy who we now know as Virgil, who is somebody that he has had dealings with in the past, but we did get some interesting Virgil stuff this week. Yeah. And there, there is an interesting thing there, obviously with Virgil, uh, Virgil being the famous sort of epic poet. Um, he's a Roman poet. And of course he is, is, is an existing historical character, who features heavily in Dante's Inferno. He is, in fact, uh, the guide uh, of of Dante through hell uh, and kind of pointing out, this is what this is, this is what that is. And so he is like a, a spirit spirit guide, really, who uh, they journey through the underworld and, and he kind of explains. And that's what's going on in Dante's Inferno. So um, that is interesting. His name being Virgil is not a, an accident, obviously. But what's also interesting about that is when we, when we, we've seen him, I guess now three times on this series. First time we see him, Michael is kind of riding his bike outside the town to meet with him uh, and maybe pray with him. We don't really know. 
Um, the second time we see him, Kevin is in, encountering him in the welcome center, and he says something to the Kevin to, to the effect of like, "I can help you with your problem." Right. And we think, oh, my God, this guy knows about Patty. Like, this is a thing. And then when he sees Nora tonight, he says, I'm so sorry for your loss. What a horrible thing. And yeah. that's a thing that Nora Durst has. Like, she's got a horrible loss. Uh, and then the lady, I think it might be Max Mom from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, behind the counter basically says, like, listen, Isaac or, or Virgil, if you're going to come in here, like, you can't say that. You can't say that. Yeah, like, this is a thing This is a thing he does. This is a thing he does. Yeah. And, I mean, the question that is always at the heart of this show is what's real and what's a fraud? You know, like, what is what is actually a mystical thing, an unexplainable thing that is happening in front of us? Or is it something that is is fake or there's some sort of explanation for it that isn't quite as sexy as it might seem on, on paper? And with a guy like Virgil, he could see that Kevin has a connection with Patty. He might look at Nora Durst and say, oh, man, you lost your, your kids and your husband. That was that must have been awful. You know, maybe he does see that stuff or he just recognizes newbies and miracle and just preys upon them and just comes up to them and says, hey, I can help you with your problem. It's a very vague thing to say to somebody in a world where anybody who is coming from outside of Miracle, at least, very likely has lost somebody or at least probably shaken by this great event that happened several years earlier that drove these people to Miracle. You know, you're not just coming to Miracle for fun. You're coming to connect after this big worldwide event. So Virgil might have some actual authentic tricks up his sleeve, but it is worth wondering, is the guy just a scam artist? And that's why, hey, don't do this here. Please stop that. You know, there's possible explanations in both directions. Yeah, and we may be wrong, or I may be wrong specifically about thinking that he lives on the outskirts of town. It was just sort of the way that Michael's bike ride set that up. But we talked about how Michael's bike... I think he's got to be in town otherwise. Otherwise, how is he there at the the Picnic Supply Store? Yeah, exactly. But but yeah, I was interesting because we talked about how that bike ride also is very similar to The Wizard of Oz and how him kind of arriving on this sort of magical-looking trailer uh, outside of town or somewhere in that general area was very similar to Dorothy riding up to meet the man who is the wizard uh, before the tornado. And that maybe he is, uh, maybe there's some element of that too, because that character obviously seemingly a charlatan and the Wizard of Oz famously somebody who representing powers that he doesn't have. And that character in the context of meeting with Dorothy uh, is a guy who's just kind of this traveling sort of roadshow who may or may not be a wizard. He's probably more of just a performer uh, and is trying to claim like these interesting things as magic or whatever. And so there is that connection with the Wizard of Oz still with Virgil. Is he a charlatan? Is he a guy who's kind of falsifying things or lying or making things up and preying on people, like almost like a traveling salesman or whatever? Or is he somebody with a true connection? Is he truly a wizard? Like, right. It's hard to say. Uh, I did think it was interesting in that scene that you catch the man and the goat wandering outside the picnic store. No, I missed that. What was going on with the He's man and the goat? He's just there. He's there. He's got that goat again. So I don't know if this is, again, we speculated this might be something he does every day right. uh, because people are Yeah, I believe that tradition. that's what Reza Aslan said. I think it's like this guy goes in and just does this all the time. Yeah, Everyone this, just kind of lets him do it because it's a ritual that keeps them safe. Yeah, and whether that that's the show's official position, whether that's Reza's view, uh, we see this guy popping up with the goat yet again. And so I don't know if he's got, if this is like Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask, like does he have like this standard <laughs> time schedule that he follows every day and wow. oh, you know, you just got to meet him at that right time and then you can get some information from him. I have no idea. Wow, I think that that's two Legend of Zelda references in the past week on Post Show Recaps. The other one was on The Walking Dead 
dead feedback. Show. I'm a big fan, so yeah. I, yeah. it doesn't. It's not surprising we had one here. Yeah, I like that. It's good. Um, yeah, I, lo- I love that. I think that's fun. I also think. I mean, we've speculated. We don't know. We're we're slowly learning about Virgil. Virgil's a character that's very slowly revealing himself. But I like that in almost every episode now, except for the one that was set in Mapleton, we've learned a little bit more about this guy. And we have speculated in the past that maybe he's John Murphy's dad. Maybe that's why Michael is connected to him. And we've talked about mirror images between the Murphys and the Garveys and how a lot of these characters have symmetry. Uh, you know, we see John Murphy is obviously a guy who is a little bit unstable that mirrors Kevin. Uh, Nora is somebody who is, you know, really cool and calm and collected under pressure unless she's not. And we see that Erica's a very similar way. So there's lots of things like that. And I think with, with Virgil potentially mirroring Kevin's father, you know, that's another guy that we could say, is he just, you know, is he just crazy? Is he just a looney tune? Is he just somebody who is saying, I hear the voices in my head and now I'm doing what they tell me to, or are those real? Um, and I think that with, with Virgil here in this argument that we're having now, or not really an argument, but this possibility that we're exploring with Virgil, I think it echoes that a little bit. So I think I, I, I feel, I feel good about Virgil Murphy. Like I feel good that we're going to get a last name reveal and he's going to be John's father. Yeah. I mean, or Erica's, uh, I mean, I think it's a little better if it's John's because of what you said, the really great, point you're making about kind of analog characters um but i don't know i don't know if we'll get that and i don't know if there's even more speculation including what we've talked about that maybe he was even the guy that john attempted murdered uh and didn't murder hard enough uh so we'll have to find out i guess yeah, we'll have to find out. You know what we uh, really need is we need investigators. So maybe the Hardy Boys. The Hardy Boys. The yeah. Hardy Boys. Although, the Hardy Boys. Although uh, Patty is not a fan of the Hardy Boys, apparently. Yeah. She does not have a raging clue for the Hardy Boys. No, she does not. I mean, she Maybe she's more of a three investigators fan. That was what I liked when I was growing up. What about Encyclopedia Brown? Uh, also like the Encyclopedia Brown. He was, he was good. Psych Brown? Psych Brown. He's a little... I mean, Encyclopedia Brown. He was like... His dad made it like, I feel like we could be seeing like a Fargo type story developing there where like the dad is the worst cop in the world, but his son is solving all his mysteries for him. Like what's happening there? Come on. Yeah, that's good. I'm glad I didn't live in that town. Yeah. I mean, do you think that Kevin Garvey's finding that cell phone if he doesn't have Patty helping him out? That's a good question because she's giving him the warm, warmer disco kind of treatment there. So I don't know. He does find it. Did you think it was interesting that there was like a weird little baby doll there where his phone was? Was I missed the baby doll. What was the baby doll? Just a baby doll, but maybe it was a link to that cave baby uh, that was mm-hmm. at the same site, you know, at the beginning of the series. I don't know what was happening there, um, but there was a baby doll there in the mud next to Kevin's phone. Chekhov's um, baby doll, and I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. We had the we had the baby Jesus on the the, the, the what was it the BJ as they referred to it AC yes. and the BJ from yes. season one. So I, I don't know if there's another baby doll connection there. I don't know exactly what that is. Uh, maybe we're just being uh, maybe we're just being Rickrolled, Josh. We might be being Rickrolled right now. Let's talk okay. about this for a second. What is Patty doing? Uh, why Why is this happening, Josh? Uh, why is she quoting Rick Astley lyrics uh, to Kevin? You're no stranger to love. Yeah, uh, that's true. Kevin is. No I just want to tell you how I'm feeling. Well, she's been doing that. Trying to make you understand. Yep. That's I'm never going to give you up. Oh boy, that's that's kind of scary. You know, she's saying I'm not. I'm never gonna. I'm never gonna leave you behind. I'm here. I'm going to be here, Rick rolling you forever until you acknowledge the Rick roll. But the- she is actually Rick rolling Kevin Garvey. Yeah, which is rough because the the idea of the Rick roll is 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 rooted in like, oh, I'm going to send you this link that says it's one thing, and then you pull it up, and it's just this. Do, 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 do. You know, it's just this yeah. funny video that pops up. Uh, but the whole idea of the Rick Roll is like, oh, I surprised you and I played this song that you didn't want to hear. 
Um, and I, I don't, Kevin doesn't want to hear what Patty has to say. That's for damn sure. But she seems to be providing some very tempting things, including I can tell you where those girls went. Yeah, yeah, I know where the girls went. Yeah, and I mean, if you want to rickroll somebody, it's like, let me give you a clickbaity headline like that, and then you click on it, and all you hear are the lyrics from these songs. So she is giving him some very tantalizing things to click on, and he won't do it. Um, and she also tells him, don't get in that car. There even there isn't even a car there. Uh, and then And then, you know, John pulls up. So I don't know. If Patty is truly in Kevin's head, he, she seems to have some sort of preternatural senses about what's happening. Like, she knows where the phone is she knows a car's going to pull up before it does right and i think that the car the car situation is a good sign that maybe there's a little more to patty than meets the eye i mean the the practical argument could just be like that's kevin's fight or flight instinct like hey there's a car coming and you're in a dangerous situation as it is probably don't go into whatever car is coming but it's so specific it's so don't get into that car kevin uh, I feel it feels it feels like there's a little more to Patty than some of the skeptics have been giving credit, myself included. Probably. Yeah, well, she's also wrong because it's a truck, not a car. And oh, okay. you can play semantics, but like if if that is Kevin's subconscious, right? All he might have heard was right. something so approaching, and so he his subconscious said, "Don't get into that car, whatever it is. Don't get involved." And it's actually a truck, so right. maybe she's not totally right there. Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, it really is. We, we don't 100% know. We're going to get another moment later where it's like, whoa, what, are we, what did that mean uh, with Patty specifically and somebody else witnessing her? But I think in this moment, I, I think we're getting some strong kind of inclination that maybe something more is up with Patty, like you were saying. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, despite the, the warning from his invisible ghost friend, uh, Kevin decides to get into the truck with John. I certainly think, you know, that this is going to go very poorly for Kevin. Turns out that John isn't thinking about Kevin at all. This is all about Isaac. And that was a, that was a left turn for me. I, I really didn't see that coming. And that's probably just, you know, oversight on my end. It, once you think back to the handprint on the window, it makes a lot of sense. It's really clever. I thought, I thought that was really good. Yeah. Uh, and John quickly gives Kevin his sort of his operating ethos, which we've sort of teased at throughout this series. There are no miracles in Miracle. Right. Uh, and that is a, that's Kevin making a very bold statement. We talked about sort of the bold statements that were made earlier. Um, but there are no miracles in Miracle, John says. And then later in the episode, we have Erica telling a story about what she considers to be a miracle. So this, I mean, are you on board with John that there are no miracles in Miracle, or do you think this is just his worldview? No, I think it's his worldview. I, and, and I do think that there are, and it certainly obviously depends on your definition of miracle. You know, is it, is it something that's got to be like super high concept, or can it be tiny miracles? Because tiny miracles are everywhere, Antonio. So there are miracles in Miracle. I agree. The world is on fire, in, even in daily boring life, with, yeah. with miracles happening all around us. And so I do think that it is down to your perspective. I believe the ICP sang about that. Uh, magnets? How do yeah. they work? How do they work? I don't work? understand. Yeah. <laughs> What's with islands? Yes. Get more land. What's with deserts? Uh, get less sand. I didn't know you were a juggalo. You're a joshalo. Yeah. I'm going to live forever. Ha ha. A wiggalo. Can we be yeah. wiggalos? Yeah. That yeah, sounds like can. a Boy Scout like uh, level. Like I've the, been working on that. That's my next hat after my Wigglers Wombats hat. Wigglers Wigglos. You're going to get a Wigglos hat. I like that's that. The next, that's the next step. Uh, there's a lot uh, of potential with that. There's a lot of potential there. But no, I, I, I think that we've seen 
we we've seen evidence. I mean, we know that that cave person story isn't in here for no reason. You know, like something like that is not in here for no reason. If it's true that no one departed from miracle, that's not an accident. You know, that is miraculous. Um, if Virgil has these powers, if he is able to actually see into your heart or know what's happened in your past or know what you're currently wrestling with, that's miraculous. Um, so I think that there's, there's miraculous stuff. I mean, Matt talks about it when he has that great scene with Nora where he's talking about how, uh, how Mary woke up and we had this amazing night and we talked and talked and talked and then it stopped. So I've, not, I've never questioned that the miracle is real. I, I've questioned if the miracle will repeat. Um, so I think that there, there are reasons to believe that there are miracles. So you're buying that that happened, that Matt's story was real. You buy that? I think we'll find out next week. Is that, is that true? Like, is that what we're going to see next week is a past, like their, their journey into miracle? Or is this a new thing that's happening? I think that it could be both. He's trying to replicate it maybe and trying to make her wake up again by leaving the town and coming back. I mean, if, if you think about the last Matt episode that we had, the first Matt episode, rather, which is, I think, episode three yep. Of, yep. of the first season, yep. um, you know, there was it was a mix. It was it was Matt's misadventures in the present, beating up people in the parking lot and also rewinding to the day of the departure, seeing things like that. So I, I feel like it could be a blend of both. And I feel like you don't just plant that flag in this episode of Matt talking about the night that Mary woke up and then went back to her state. I don't think that you drop that in the episode right before the next Matt episode the very next week without showing that scene. So I'd be really surprised if we go through all of next week and we don't get that scene. I think that once we get that scene... We might have that question of was did that really happen or was that a figment of the imagination as the leftovers is wont to do. Yeah, and I, I mean right now I'm buying it, but Matt is also this kind of wild-eyed guy who uh, it maybe didn't happen and he wants to believe it happened very desperately. So I guess we will find out. Hopefully we will find out because that – I mean if you're, if you're operating under this, are, are there miracles in miracle? Um, more than just the kind of uh, the daily miracles that we talk about, we have to kind of – we're still evaluating whether what's happening in Jar slash miracle is legit uh and some characters believe that it is and some believe that it isn't uh and some take something like a premature baby being born and still being alive and living uh as a miracle and maybe that is maybe that is maybe that's a miracle of science maybe that's more on the clown posse miracle side but then clearly mary waking up could also be the same kind of thing and that matt is crediting it as a miracle when it really has some sort of scientific explanation and I think the search for answers like that and the assigning of value uh, that you choose is really what's happened throughout the course of this series. And in, a, in, a, in some ways, a lot of what the show is about. And you turn back to the theme song about what what everyone is doing, right. assigning value to different things. And one character who is singing the song choosing to just let the mystery be and not try to explain it. Uh, I think that that's really the, the kind of central thrust of this series is you know, assigning value to certain things. The cave story could be the same thing. She could have just found that baby there and said nothing happened. Or she could have been like, well, there was an earthquake, the ground shook. Uh, then I found this mother who had been bitten by a snake and was dead. And there's a lot of mythological value to that. So it's all about assigning value and where we put with that. So these miracles that come up, uh, we have that. That said, Josh, what value should we assign to this story about Patty's husband and the Cleveland steamer? Oh, the Cleveland steamer, the miracle steamer, the miracle steamer. I mean, yeah. the Stanley the Mapleton steamer. steamer, I guess. Yes. 
Yeah, that was amazing. Um, you know, th- and it's like it's Patty's attempt at you know talking about you know it's her it's her version of talking about bullshit. Obviously, uh, you know, talk, perhaps talk, quite literally. Yeah, you know, and and t- telling a very scatological story to get to that point. But I also think it's it's getting a rise out of Kevin. It's a story you can't ignore when she's talking about I was married for seventeen years to this guy and never once did he ask me to shit on him. Uh, like you know, telling that story, it's going to get somebody to at least roll their eyes in surprise rick roll their the eyes that, yeah <laughs> rick roll your eyes baby oh, no. the way the way that kevin does though you know the way that kevin responds to this he doesn't acknowledge her with his voice he doesn't talk to her yet that's still coming up in the episode but it's on his face when she's saying that story like he stops for a second he's like wait what did he do yeah you know it's yeah. it's good so it's it's an attention grabber and i think that you know she's really trying to get a rise out of him but she does say something that's very pointed and it's probably something that we would be talking through if she hadn't brought it up but she brings it up she's the one who says did Lori ever tell you that story i always wondered if that doctor patient confidentiality was bullshit and it's very possible that Lori had told kevin this story before it's very possible that kevin has heard this about patty in the past that he knows this and that this could be part of the deep-rooted memories that he's creating of this character in his head or it could be ghost patty is telling him the truth again there's no definitive answer yeah but i think that's the key nugget right there is that uh there is an explanation for kevin knowing what patty would be like uh right more than just the kind of stray encounter that they had uh in the cabin in upstate new york uh he knows kind of her stories he knows her patterns he knows what she would be like because he heard about this crazy patient from Lori, and that is entirely possible the fact that that his if patty is his subconscious his subconscious is in fact screaming out to him like don't you know about this that's how you didn't you hear that story before come on like wake up buddy like that is it's like almost a subconscious cry for help um and that i think is the key element here that we can we can establish that if it is from his subconscious that here the show has directly articulated the possible link uh for where kevin could be coming up with a lot of this character uh is what he heard about through Lori, and so of course patty's going to be absolutely nuts because she probably only told kevin the really good stuff right right that's a great story yeah yeah that's a a story that you tell somebody so oh man uh, well yeah it's a story you tell your shrink and then your shrink is telling her husband yeah that's no great that's not great yeah yeah and and i think it's interesting because i think it comes down to like um kevin doesn't believe patty at that point even though she's given him the good uh key on the phone even though she gave him the thing he still is not talking to her as you said not acknowledging her as real doesn't want her doesn't want her to be there um and we have this scene with isaac that plays out right here we got john and kevin john kevin reveals to john that he is a cop and john's like oh really okay you know and kevin thinks he's really kind of uh, got one over on John by let let me talk to this guy first. Let me handle I, this. I like this like these this shades of a budding bromance between these two in this moment. It could happen. Cop and firefighter. You know they don't have to be at odds. They're both muni employees. Like right. let's get this done. Let's be buddies. Let's be bros. But there was like a moment on John's face was like oh no way yeah like He's oh like, yeah way dude I'm taking you a lot more seriously now right like, yeah you're not just this weird dude who lives next to me now you're a guy who has a thing. But he, he, John is, is, has played Kevin out and John gets shot. Yeah, that was crazy. And it wasn't just like he got shot in the arm or something like that. He got shot in the gut. Yeah, gut shot right through the door. 
you know, that sucked. Yeah. Thankfully it was a 22. Like that is not something that, you know, is, is a guaranteed fatal blow or anything. Right. It's not like he got shot with a missile launcher. You know, he got shot with a 22 through a door. So it is totally believable that the situation would be as exactly as it plays out. They're so calm about it though. I mean, I don't care if it's a 22 or a 26 or a 13 or a 12. You're getting shot in the gut through a door and Kevin's just like, dude, you got shot. I'm driving. Yeah. You know, and, and John is just like, Hey, babe, got shot. Yep. Gonna need to help. Gonna need your help on that. What, Everyone's so chill about it. Well, what did you think about what Isaac said? The most dangerous man is the man who believes in nothing at all. That's not what I've learned about nihilists from things like the big Lebowski. Again. So we again, believe in nothing. Yes. We believe in nothing. It must be exhausting. Like yeah. to be, a, to be a tomorrow nihilist. we come and we cut off your John Murphy. <laughs> your John's Murphy. Yeah. Yeah. So that could happen. Like, I don't know. Um, the Lincolnberry pancakes. I'll have the Lincolnberry pancakes. Yeah, I don't know about these nihilists. Like, if the man believes in nothing is the most dangerous man, um, then is John Murphy the most dangerous man because he's got nothing to lose? Yeah, well, or maybe it's a misread on John. I don't know. To say that John believes in nothing, do you think that that's the correct read on John Murphy? Does this strike you as a man who believes in nada? Yeah, the absence of belief is a belief. I mean, if he truly believes that there's no explanation, I mean, he believes there are no miracles in miracle. That is a strong belief. That is a belief that says... Whatever you guys think, whatever value you're assigning, I don't think that it's legit. I have an opinion on this. And that is certainly a belief. He's not a spiritual man. Uh, so he's not, you know, he, if you want to say he's an atheist, fine. But I think most people, most atheists are not dangerous. You would say that atheists believe if there's no afterlife that they should just do well in this life because it's kind of all we've got. So we should really do, do well and treat each other well because, uh, you know, we're not going to, our days here are numbered. So we may as well be good in them. Uh, uh, it, just because someone's an atheist doesn't mean they're a bad person or a dangerous person. So right. I don't know if his lack of theism, if his lack of belief, if his lack of spirituality, Isaac is describing that as something dangerous and negative. Uh, I don't think, I don't think that's all we have with the John Murphy. I think there's, there's more yeah. to it than that. But for a guy, but for a guy like Isaac, who is in his view, the opposite of that, you know, he's a guy who feels like he believes in something extraordinarily powerful for that guy maybe the man who believes in nothing is the most dangerous person in the room for, for a guy who believes in something so unbelievable to so many people that you got to be really cautious about someone like that. And we see that reflected in Michael, you know, in, in the line that he says to Jillary is like, I like, I'm, I'm cautious to, to talk too openly with somebody who, you know, doesn't believe in the things that I believe in. Um, so I, I get that perspective. It doesn't mean the perspective is correct. You know, it doesn't mean that what he is saying is definitively true about John Murphy, that John Murphy is just somebody without beliefs. Uh, that being said, John Murphy's a dangerous man. No yeah, question he about really it. Is. I mean, he's he a did. dangerous guy. Well, and it's funny because he he did time. A lot of people find spirituality, religion when they go to jail. It seems clear that that didn't happen with John. And we know now from this episode that John was in jail when it all happened, when the departure happened. Uh, and that makes it abundantly clear that that's the case. So his anti-magic squad, if you call it that, uh, he, we get the story from Erica in this episode that he kind of developed that, uh, sort of viewpoint when he came out of prison, that he was angry about, he wasn't having it, she says. Like he got out and saw the way people were taking advantage of these things. He wasn't having it. So, I don't know. He didn't seem to find a belief system in prison. It seems to be sort of galvanized. This lack of a belief system seems really galvanized when he got out. So it isn't the departure or 
or beliefs about the departure that caused John Murphy to attempt a murder. Uh, John Murphy was who he was before the departure happened. Right. Uh, and I think that that's an interesting, uh, interesting kind of fact about his character. You know, another interesting fact about the character. I, I mean, I want to go back to the scene with Nora and Jill that we're, we're skipping over, but he wants to feel the pain. Like he doesn't want to be dulled against the pain. He wants to be awake and he wants to feel the pain. And that's a very Nora Durst like thing. You know, you just, you just hit on something that I hadn't even really considered until we started talking it through, but John Murphy is not in miracle for the sudden departure. He's in prison. So that dude's witnessing departures. Yeah. You know, he's, in, he's in jail unless he's in solitary confinement or something like that. He's witnessing departures. You right. know, he's, he's got his own unique departure story. And of course that's going to separate him from the people in miracle. Of course that's going to set him apart from people who were in this place where no one left. Uh, that's a really interesting note for that character. Yeah. They feel special because they weren't taken and he doesn't have that same connection because a, he wasn't there. And, right. you know, even if he was in jail within Miracle, unless he was in jail, like within Miracle and no prisoners disappeared, which seems unlikely for attempted murder, unless they have a state penitentiary there, he's going to state prison if he attempts a murder. He's going to do a stretch. He's not staying in his local jail. Uh, so he probably went away from Miracle, like you're saying. And yeah, he probably knew people that were departed, guards, other prisoners, something like that. So his take and his story is going to be very separate from those other people in Miracle who believe that they're special and that they were spared and that they were the nine two six one and they need to represent that yeah no that's cool i like that a lot i think that's really good well and that's good because it ties into this scene with nora and jill which is really the underscored kind of scene where they're drinking on the porches there are no geographic solutions like you know you are who you are uh and and this is a little bit of a dichotomy to that the people who stayed in miracle uh believe that they're special by virtue of their geography Uh, and it's to them it is a matter of geography they were in miracle they didn't depart they were spared they are special um nora and jill are taking kind of a different thing like wherever you go there you are you bring with you to the table what you are no matter where you're from and i think that that's an interesting kind of uh difference there yeah i just love nora's story you know when we're talking about like what what happened to the girls what was that was that a departure and you know nora talks about how it's like you know noah put all the animals on the ark and why would he come back to do more this is the departure was a one-time thing but i just love how she frames it through the story of this couple that were married and one day while walking the dog the guy vanishes and i was assigned to second departures and she says part of my french the fucker was in puerto rico like she's she's just like she busted him down. Yeah. And I, I just thought that was a great story and just like a great note for that world, for the world of the leftovers where nonsense like that happens. Departure fraud. I just think it's such a cool concept. Well, she calls the departure the greatest scapegoat in the history of civilization. Right. And I think that's hilarious. I had an aunt who was now deceased who uh, had a stroke later in life at around age 70. And then after she had the stroke, she just had no filter. And she yeah. told people, every, she ripped them up one side of the wall and down the other, called uh-huh. people out, whatever. And everyone's like, well, you got to give her a break because she had a stroke. And then my other aunt said, no, she's always been like that. I have a feeling that she knows exactly what she's doing and she's using the stroke as an excuse to just let her guard down and be how she always wanted to be. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that that is something the departure probably did expose with people. Totally. Is that people can claim things what they want all the time. They've got this great scapegoat. We saw the Marklin Baker story earlier in this episode, or earlier in the season, whether he faked his departure and used the departure as cover or not, we don't know. But it seems totally plausible that people would use this horrible event 
as ways to justify things that they always wanted to be or their behavior. And yeah, John Murphy's getting worse. He's burning down houses now. That's a new thing. Attempted murder, on the other hand, was not a new thing for John Murphy. That was an old thing. He was doing that before the departure. So to say that the departure has made John Murphy into something different is also, I think, giving him a little bit of cover and using it as a scapegoat. So he is a fascinating character. There's a great interview with the actor who plays John on Vulture. Kevin Carroll, yeah. Yeah, great great interview with Kevin Carroll. And the the good pull quote from that uh, Lisa Liebman's interview basically is, I don't know the last time I've seen a character of color this complex, uh, is is Kevin Carroll's view of John Murphy. I think that's a great view. I think he is not summed up by his race in any way. They're not taking racial stereotypes or shortcuts uh, with this character. He's a fascinatingly complex character. He's awesome. You know, I, I think that the, the move to Miracle on this show has been a huge, huge thing for this show in terms of the creative energy, which we already thought was on the upswing at the end of season one. Um, and, and I think the new setting is a big piece of that. But it really can't be said enough that the Murphy family and the John character specifically has just brought so much energy to this show and it's just brought new layers and new depth and I love what he's doing. I think that this is a great great character who's, you know, loathsome in moments, very sympathetic in others, very charming at times, uh, just a mean guy and in others. He's just he's very multi-layered and he's great. He's great. He's great. He's great. I love him. Great yeah, character. And I think this plays out in, in so many ways. Like we see this scene with Jill and Michael here uh, where Jill brings the wrench back to Michael and they, they basically exchange an are you alone uh, and in another show that might have led to some some uh, some dirty time uh, and what that led to ultimately was I think it, Michael took it in a more kind of existential way and right. yeah I'm alone in this world like yeah. I don't have anybody my sister's gone uh, my dad is different than I am they don't have a bad relationship but they're not on the same page about the thing that's most important to Michael uh, and we don't know about Michael and his mom so the fact that he cries to Jill there like I said earlier I kind of joked yeah it totally ruins the mood but, you know, this is great because Jill is a little bit like that as well. And Jill has always been this sort of uh, kind of just they're, – they're two ships passing in the night in a lot of respects because they're both uh, alone in a, lot of, in a lot of ways. She was with the teenagers in the first season, but she was also separate and apart from them in that she didn't feel the way they felt about everything. We talked about the baby Jesus scene. There's that great blow-up she has about the Viking funeral and about uh, everything that doesn't feel right about that. Jill seems to be a pretty good kid. Uh, and it is in a world where a lot of the kids aren't like that, so she is alone too. Yeah. And I think that that's a really good scene. Uh, what do you think about the orange sticker? That's the title of the episode, right? Orange, orange sticker? sticker. Yeah, it's if you're verified. If you're verified in Miracle instead of the blue check mark, you get the orange sticker. <laughs> yes, this is a way to make sure that nobody represents like the Murphy. This is a fake Murphy family account. Right. This is a parody. No, yeah, uh, future Murphy. <laughs> yes, this is Fat Murphy. Yeah, yeah, like, uh, yeah, like Disco Murphy. Like, no, that's not <laughs> right. happening. Right, like. Uh, uh, we we the orange sticker is to verify that the story is true. No one departed from your house, so it is very heartbreaking uh, to see Michael scraping that away at the end of the episode. Yeah, and and I think that the real the real punch to that is just how easily it comes off. You know, like he's just he's just like hammering that thing off. It doesn't look like it's taking a lot of work, and I think that it's it's a testament to just how thin the defense is in this world of miracle. Of well, we were protected, we are safe, no one took us away. Doesn't mean that you just 
just get to flash this orange badge and you're protected forever. Uh, it can go away like that. And that's what the Murphys are experiencing now. And you get the sense that whether it came with the Garveys or it was just bound to happen here in Miracle anyway, uh, those, those safe days seem to be a thing of the past. Yeah. So I, I like that. I thought that was a good visual metaphor. And Erica basically says that in this scene, this next scene, she basically says like, things are going to change now. Uh, we talked about, you know, the story of Evie and the two months apart and all that. There are no miracles in Miracle. John wasn't having it. But the end of that story, Erica basically says things are going to change now. So, you know, it, it is not, it is no longer the miracle of no one was affected, no one was departed. Erica, I think, also recognizes that things are getting worse. We've got a progressive pattern of behavior with the burning of the houses, uh, and John just got shot. Uh, things are going to change now, and I think that makes for a really interesting rest of the season. All right, well, things change the dynamic between Kevin and Pat. Yes, they Kevin. do. Yeah, Kevin finally acknowledges her. She's, you know, really ripping into him in the middle of the street. He's like, oh, that Erica is something, huh? Her husband gets shot. She pulls the bullet out. There's no questions asked. That's real commitment. That's not what you have. Uh, what you have isn't love. It's damage control. So she's really indicting Kevin's relationship with Nora and his feelings toward his family. And it's aggravating enough that Kevin finally snaps. He says, I haven't told my family about you because you're not freaking here. Uh, I love my family. I love them. And then she pulls out the big blockbuster line of, well, why did you kill yourself? Why did you try to kill yourself then? Um, so I guess, do we, do we accept that at face value? Was Kevin in the lake because he was trying to commit suicide? Do you think that there's going to be more to that story there? There has to be. I don't buy the way that Patty says it played out. I think that if you're going to try to kill yourself this way, I don't think you just nudge the rock into the water and then just assume that you're going to be pulled in by it. I think that you put it in your arms, you hold it, you jump in, and then you drop it in the water. Like, I think that that's how that plays out. I don't think you just knock the rock into the water because I don't see how that pulls you in quite honestly like i think that the force of your body and all your muscles are probably stronger than one cinder block i I don't know how the way she tells it is very specific and i don't know that i don't know that it would have played out that way i pictured i pictured kevin if he's trying this jumping in holding the rock uh or you know just kind of stepping into the water while holding the rock and then that's the thing that happens i think we are going to see how this played out i really do uh and i don't think it'll be exactly how patty said but i do think that i still read that as a suicide attempt so what do we what do we think of Patty's commentary here? You know, he he says, I don't want to kill myself. And she says, well, you're certainly entitled to your opinion. I'm just glad that we finally talked about it. And by the way, those girls, they vanished. Poof, gone. Uh, things are going to change indeed. So she is saying another departure happened. Yeah. Do we, do we buy that? Is that is that real or is that Kevin's fear manifested? I think that it's the latter. I was going to ask you, you buying or selling that. We have several characters weighing in on this. Nora says it didn't happen again. Michael says my sister is with God. John says there are no miracles in Miracle. Erica says things are going to change now. I mean, I think that in, in Matt is weighing in and saying Miracle is a special place. So I don't know exactly uh, how this is going to play out, but I'm not. I'm still not buying uh, that it was a departure. Uh, I think ultimately that one of the things that we have to track with this series is Miracle is a place where no one departed. And so they're going to be 
they're going to they're going to be people who dig in and say it's not possible that it's a departure because it doesn't happen here. There are also going to be people who are terrified of the possibility that they've been living a lie and that it isn't a special place and that it was a departure and they're going to immediately be worried about that. Especially you know uh, people who have seen departures, although Nora is taking a different view. But I think that 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 is interesting that immediately in Miracle we've got a town where people are going to ascribe one value to this or another depending on what what where they're dug in on all of this and. I think that that more than anything is the story of this quote unquote departure is that some people are going to say it was, and some people are going to be very sure that it wasn't. Uh, and we're going to see how that all plays out. I think we will find out. I think you got to think about it from Kevin's perspective too, when he does have that final scene with Nora and she says, do you think that they're ever going to find those girls? And he says, no, I don't, I don't think we're going to find them. Yeah. Uh, and I think that it's almost, I, I don't know if it's a, if I would go so far as to say it's a relevant to ask the are you buying or selling question. Um, I mean, I would like to see it. I think it would be an interesting development for the show if another departure occurred. I think that that would be interesting to explore. I think that the show would also be great if it didn't happen. So I think it could go in both directions. It would be fine. But I think that the point is we'll probably never know for sure. Yeah, uh, I, I think we're going to find out something. I think we're going to, I think we're going to get a little more definitive than the girls never show up again, and that's that. I, and I think we're going to. Well, think, if that's the case, then you got to imagine that it's not departure related because right, it's very, it's very, you know, laid out there by Lindelof and the writers that we're not answering, we're not touching that. Right, so and if, I don't if think if you're going to get is. answers on Evie, it's not going to be departure. And I don't think it will be. And, and I guess we'll see. But I think that the ultimate arc of this season could be. Uh, look, even when a kid disappears, people are going to assign this value depending on what their frame of reference is. And I think that'll be a kind of, not an allegory, but just sort of a commentary on how we respond to tragedies, how we respond to horrible things that happen. Some people immediately think spiritual. Some people immediately pivot to that. Some pivot to the magic or to the unexplainable. Some people doggedly refuse and, and dig in on the scientific aspect yeah. of it. So I think that show's always been about that. I think that taking us to this town where people are all of a, a certain mind certain mindset and watching that play out. I think that's in keeping with how our cultural traditions develop. And I think the show has been about that a lot this season. So I think that in, in, in my belief personally is that that's where this story is kind of heading, that we are going to find out something and it'll be more about how the characters reacted to this incident while it was ongoing than necessarily um, was it a departure and did we solve it? Like, right, no, right, right. it's not going to be that, but um, I don't know. What do you think of, uh, what do you think of the guy in the tower? Yeah, uh, who I was going to ask friend? you. Who was your yeah. friend? Well, we didn't get we didn't get any Australia callouts that I picked up on. Did you pick up on anything Australia related? No, I did not. Yeah, so I think that this was the first episode where where we didn't get an explicit Australia callout, unless there's an Easter egg. And if there's an Easter egg, let us know. Postyourrecaps.com. Uh, I I mean, this guy had been writing to that dude in Australia at least, so maybe that's a further step in the direction of Kevin Garvey is going to get hooked into that storyline. Is he going to be friends with the watchtower guy with the watch guard uh i don't know that would be fun i would like that i i knowing kevin garvey knowing that this guy knows his secret that he talks to people i'm sure that kevin garvey is going to avoid town square as often as he can yeah and i mean you know, it doesn't seem like he's going to be rushing back to that guy i yeah absolutely and it would be, we would be remiss to not say that that remark like who's your friend is the exact kind of snide remark you'd make to somebody from a tower uh if you saw them yelling at themselves yelling at no one yelling into the middle of a town square where there is no one else but they're clearly carrying on a conversation with someone if you're up in a tower you might make a snide remark like that oh who's right. your friend you know yeah, like yeah, yeah. 
you're not talking to anybody, but I'm going to act like, you know, oh, tell me about your imaginary friend that you saw. Totally. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I wouldn't ascribe such mystical value to this guy. It doesn't seem like Kevin really does that, but it will be interesting to see. Does Kevin go interrogate the guy? Like, what What did you see? Like, did you actually see someone or right, does he sure. stay away from the guy like you're saying, which I think is more likely? Yeah, I think that's more likely. And is um, he going to be able to do anything without Nora at his side? Yeah, yeah. Handcuffed no, they're going to be handcuffed, handcuffed together forever. Do you think they're handcuffed together forever? They're never going to... They found the key, at least, right? They have the key. Yeah, these are just it. night handcuffs, I think. Yeah, night, these are to prevent the, the night wonders. These are to prevent the incidents like we saw in the first season with the BBA and Kevin's yes. little night wonderings. I think that that's to prevent that. But unfortunately, I think that it means just that Nora's going to get dragged along somewhere with Kevin one night. That makes me nervous. It makes me so nervous, but it makes... a great episode, though. Yeah, it makes me excited because I think that the dramatic potential... Thing there is really big. I just hope it doesn't end in like a Nora Durst death. That would be awful. Yes. I'd be very, 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 very upset with that. So I hope that's not where we're going. She's one of the greatest characters on this show. And it's really not close. So we can't afford to lose her, but we can totally, totally go with her on the Kevin Garvey crazy ride. And I she'll like, do it. She's ride or die. So she's yeah. going to want to see how this all plays out. So if he yeah. if he gets the hankering to go wander around town, I think she's going to be right there with it. Totally. And I mean, there's reasons to do it just in terms of like callbacks to what has already worked on the show before. We've seen Kevin get help from Nora's brother, you know, when he was in a state like this or the consequences of a state like this. So for him to go off on some sort of misadventure with Nora herself, I think that there's something really playful about that. And I I feel like just with with Justin Theroux has been so on fire and Carrie Coon has been so great and Ann Dowd is so terrific. How could you pass up on the opportunity to have those three actors in a scene together, whether or not Nora Durst is able to acknowledge Patty? Yeah. So I feel like that's absolutely something that we're going to get later this season. And that's awesome. Uh, you know, for a season that's already been this terrific four episodes in, there's just so much potential there. It's it's great. I'm really excited about that. And I just loved it. I thought it was a really cool visual moment of just like slapping the cuffs on each other, just voluntarily braceleting each other. You know, like we're, 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 we're attached to each other. We're not going anywhere. We are literally clinging on to each other for dear life. And whether or not that's an indictment on their relationship in the way that Patty would say it is, or if it's, you know, a sign of true love that these people are just not going to let go of each other. They're not going to give up on each other. They, they will rig roll together forever. You know, I, I think that you can read it multiple ways, which is the great thing about this show in just about every aspect. So I loved it. That was my favorite moment of the episode. And that might be one of my all time favorite moments on any episode of the leftovers is just that handcuff moment. It was so good. It was awesome. I loved it. Yeah, like uh, we're totally in this together, despite, you know, not you and I, but Kevin, Kevin and, and Nora. And despite anything else, despite uh, our inclinations to be otherwise, we're essentially uh, handcuffed together. This is what we're doing. And right. Kevin's into it. He's okay with it. Uh, and it's not a sexual thing. It's just a thing. It's a relationship thing. And I, I can't wait to see how that all plays out. And I, it's... It's not as sick as uh, hiring a prostitute to shoot you, but it is not, it's also not a healthy thing. So it'll be it's really interesting not, to see not, how this plays out. It's not great. It's not great. When is Kevin going to tell her about Patty? Um, or is he just going to, is she going to find out? I think she's going to find out. I think if she goes on one of these wonders with him and he's talking to somebody, I think she's yeah. going to, when it all kind of shakes loose and Kevin is, is, is more lucid 
uh, when she's around. I mean, we haven't seen Patty popping up with other people around. So could that happen? I mean, this will all be very interesting uh, because she probably would immediately be like, who are you talking to? You know, and Kevin probably wouldn't want to talk to Patty in front of Nora. So it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Yeah, can't wait. Can't wait. Uh, You had a bunch of buy or sell questions. Any others that we We, didn't hit? We really covered them all. Um, I just think that we're in this dichotomy. The Murphy family alone is really on opposite sides of things where John's saying there are no miracles. Eric is saying her children are a miracle, which of course life is a miracle. So that's not really like a super miracle. And then Michael is believing strongly, so strongly that he's scraping their, their verified. He's giving up his blue check mark. Yeah, uh, and I is. think that that's a, that's a really interesting kind of thing that's going on uh, with their dynamic. And then you've got Matt with Mary woke up uh, and he believes very strongly that the town is something special. And I'm looking forward to seeing where that comes into play next week. Yeah, I think that'll be fun. I'm looking forward to the Matt episode a lot. Before we get out of here, tip of the cap to the to the Grease cover. That was good. Yeah, I like that. that. Was, it's this show is killing it with the soundtrack. I got chills. Cool. Yeah, the soundtrack this season has been fantastic. No, no exception. Like that is uh, the the idea of and they did this in season one with the uh, Metallica. Nothing else matters. Oh, uh, that's right. As covered by the orchestral uh, group, there um, they're doing it again. Uh, that was the Inquisition Symphony. I don't know the name of the artist who performed this song, but. Um, just a great kind of uh, different take on a on a song that's familiar to all of us. Hopefully, yeah, it's good. Uh, anything else from this, or should we should we start wrapping this guy up? I'm ready to wrap. We'd love to continue this conversation about this week's episode on our our show page at Post Show Recaps. So let us know your thoughts and theories and questions. You guys have been peppering us with some fantastic ones, and uh, the discussions been ongoing about those previous episodes. But we'd love to hear your comments on our show page about uh, your theories about what we have, what we saw this week, uh, and continue the conversation there. Yeah, tweet that our way as well. You can hit us up on Twitter. We're always interactive there. Antonio is at AC Mazzaro, two Zs, one R. I'm at Round Howard. Uh, do we have an obvious hashtag for this week? Anything good? Nothing's jumping out to me. What do you got? <laughs> How about hashtag Rick Rollover? Okay, I like that. I got yeah, it. Rick, Rick Rollover. Rollover. Yep, yeah, that's, that's what we're good. Doing. So give us, give us one of those, and we'll play you out with a little bit of a Rick jam here. Uh, this was fun. I think that The Leftovers is on fire. I feel like our podcast has been very fun. It's certainly a highlight of my week talking to you about this stuff, Antonio. I hope hope that people who are listening to this feel the same way it's been really great i can't wait to see where this goes looking forward to the mad episode next week take care everybody uh we will talk to you again real soon subscribe to what we're doing postshowrecaps.com slash leftovers itunes and we'll be back next week with another one see ya